we're going to start the way that we did last week, just praying for the, per, the, the person on your right and on your left. Uh, as you can surmise from the service so far, uh, we're thinking together today about gentleness. So would you just pray for the person on your right and your left, and if you're an aisle person, uh, and there's nobody next to you on that side, you get to pray for Giorgio um, and his family this month. Um, just that Jesus would gentle us in new ways and that we would be open in, in new ways to uh, God uh, implanting, pressing into the fabric of our lives his gentleness. Amen? Amen. So as Rich was just saying, during Advent, uh, we, we look back, we look ahead, we look back to Jesus' first Advent, we look ahead to his drawing near again, and then we look around. Um, for this Advent season, we're using two New Testament passages that are not traditional Christmas passages like in Luke 1 or 2, Matthew 1. Um, but they have Christmas truth embedded in them. And um, the, the passages are in Philippians 4 and 1 Thessalonians 5. Again, they're not, I, I don't think, up here, but in your, in your bulletin. So this is the Word of God. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And then the other passage is, is a sister passage, a similar one in 1 Thessalonians 5. Make sure that nobody pays back wrong for wrong, but always strive to do what is good to each other and to everyone else. Uh, the way I learned it was be kind to each other and to everyone else. Rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. The grass withers and the, flower, the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord endures forever. So, Again, we started last week when we consider both these passages, you see these same four qualities, these same four ongoing activities in believers' lives. Rejoice, be kind and gentle, pray, give thanks. Rejoice, be kind and gentle, pray, give thanks. And as I, I mean, I don't know how many years ago, I, I had spent a summer meditating on that paragraph in Philippians 4 and it just dawned on me that implanted in the middle of it is this advent truth that the Lord is near and that that's what makes all this possible so uh, just in my mind and and again you're gonna it's gonna have to be in your mind not on the screen 
um, to, to think about these four qualities, to think about that central truth that the Lord is near, that central Advent truth that we're soaking in. Um, that's, that's the center, the hub of the wheel. And then these four activities, rejoice, be kind and gentle, pray, give thanks. Those are the spokes. That, that's, that's how that truth, that Advent truth, um, that power gets out into the life. Um, and and it, it just is a good picture, uh, for me anyway, um, uh, of, of that central truth moving outward, saving us from our inwardness, um, moving us forward, trans, translating that, that, that Advent power into our lives and our relationships and our families and the way we love our neighbors. Um, so last week we talked about rejoicing, you know, being full of joy as part of that. We, we spent some of the time talking about kind of the kooky ways that, that we think about feelings and emotions. Uh, I just have to apologize. I think I'm, I'm kind of personally responsible for the, the smiting of the projector. Um, the, the, this one illustration that I put up last week as a bad example you know, it sort of lived on the screen through the whole sermon, evidently, I was told afterwards, and confused you all, so, so sorry for that, um, and sorry for the projector being smote by God. Um, so, so thankfully, he just did away with that today, and you have two great passages before you in your hand, and none of my dumb illustrations. Um, so... The thing that I'm excited most about, I think, this morning is that this one, um, this one sentence, um, this one admonition, command, uh, let your gentleness be evident to all. It, it's, it's, the, it's the Christmas truth, the gospel truth, getting out. Um, Christianity, uh, I'm afraid... Is is uh, I mean Theodore Rozak infamously described Christianity Christianity as as privately engaging but socially irrelevant. Privately engaging but socially irrelevant. Well, what I'm excited about this one sentence in, in our text that that this be kind to each. To each other and everybody else. Let your gentleness be evident to all. That, that's that's the, the truth of the gospel getting out. The, the heart of Christmas, the biblical gospel of grace, friends, it doesn't just make you warm on the inside like a cup of hot chocolate. It, it makes you warm on the outside. It changes the way you interact with the others. It, it's socially relevant because it is privately engaging and transforming. The, the Lord's nearness turns impatient, brusque, angry, harsh women and men gentle. And, and our Lord who's near wants His gentle presence to be known, to be evident, to be on display in us and through us. So our plan today is, is, is really complex. Uh, um, not really. It's just three simple points. What what gentleness isn't? What gentleness what gentleness is, and then how we get it. So what it isn't, what it is, and and how 
and where do we get it? So, again, out, right out of the gate, it's important that when we talk about character, when we talk about these ongoing realities in our lives, when the Bible talks about character, it's not talking about uh, personality traits or, or natural temperaments. It's talking about supernatural manifestations of the character of Jesus himself being replicated, uh, inculcated into the lives of his um, little brothers and sisters. So gentleness is not just a natural temperament that some of you have and some of you don't. Gentleness is not just the absence of something, it's the presence of something Again, otherworldly. It's not just not. I'm going to use a lot of double negatives, sorry. Um, it's not just not being violent or harsh. It's not just the absence of something negative, but it's this, this presence, uh, this heavenly presence of something positive. We, we said last week about joy that it's not just present when everything is great. Uh, it's not just dependent on good circumstances. Actually, it shines brightest in the midst of sad and dark and confusing and difficult circumstances. Well, gentleness is like that as well. Gentleness is usually not called for in gentle situations. Um, Christian leaders especially, uh, of whom there, there are so, so many uh, in this room in every seat, called to be gentle in the exact context of being opposed. There's a, a place in 2 Timothy 2 where it, we're taught the Lord's servant must not quarrel. Instead, he must be kind to everyone, able to teach, not resentful. Those who oppose him, he must gently instruct in the hope that God will grant them repentance leading them to a knowledge of the truth. In the next chapter, in 1 Timothy 3, um, as the characteristics of the, the character of the uh, servant leaders in the church of Jesus are being laid out, four things, uh, and, and just in verse 3, four things are um, mentioned that were not to be, and then one positive the one positive trait set in opposition to all four is being gentle so not given to drunkenness not violent but gentle not quarrelsome not a lover of money so again we're thinking about what gentleness is not it's not just being passive if you'll excuse, again, the double negative, it's not just not doing anything. It's not just not engaging or responding. It's not just avoiding conflict. I mean, Rich led us in prayer for Rosemary Miller. How old is Rosemary now? Closing on 100? 98. Still serving on the field. I mean, I... Jack and Rosemary used to talk about constructive conflict. That was one of the talks they would give all the time. And people, some of you, you've never, you've never seen those two things together. How can, you've never seen conflict that is somehow constructive. So 
gentleness that we're talking about, friends, it's not, it, it's not just avoiding conflict. It's doing conflict differently than we did before. It, it's not just restraining the heart that Jesus is interested in in us because of his advent. It is transforming the heart, co- coming up with something so categorically different than the violence that's found there. So gentleness is not just giving up on a situation or on a person. Galatians 6.1 says, Brothers and sisters, if someone's caught in a sin, you who are spiritual should restore him gently. When, when a brother or sister is caught in a pattern of sin, we're to be gentle restorers, not just folks who look the other way and hope it goes away. We're thinking about what gentleness is not in our passages, in all of God's Word. You, you never find it by itself. It's not alone. It's always coupled with other virtues. There's all this overflow uh, and crossover. Um, we see it coupled here in, with kindness and joy in the Lord, uh, rejoicing and, and, and anxiety abating prayer and a consistent, strong giving of thanks. If you read surveys about what what young women are looking for in a mate, uh, in in a spouse, you you always find these paired polarities. They'll they'll say, well, um, I I want him to be so stable that he's almost boring, and I want him to be spontaneous. I I want him to be um, very... um, uh, strong and, and sure of himself and vulnerable. Uh, I, I, I want him to be full of, of confidence and gentleness, humility, strength and gentleness. There's always these paired polarities. In, in conversations I've had through the years with men, they hate when their supposed strength comes across like criticalness and meanness and distance and severity and coldness. Talking to women through the years, they're shocked by these men that God has dropped down their chimney um, in, in, in a couple of ways. One is just the, the, the presence and the level of, of anger and violence in them is shocking and or their passivity and unwillingness to engage is shocking so some of us men express our violence with words and actions some we express our violence with our absence of words or action or just even our absence period but But either way, friends, it's violence on display that needs this double cure. Well, the good news uh, from God's word for boys and girls and men and women is that the gentleness that that the Bible teaches us about um, is, is something that is not native to us. It is something grown in us. Amen? I mean, do you know that gentleness is a part of the fruit of the Spirit? 
that we read about. If, if a person is connected to Jesus, abiding in Jesus, belongs to Jesus, Jesus sends the, his own spirit into that boy or girl or man or woman to grow uh, in increasing measure. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Now, this is not gifts of the Spirit that some have it and some don't. This is the fruit of the Spirit that God wants to put on display in every one of you. One of the pieces of good news as I kind of geek out and, and study New Testament Greek is one of the principal words for gentleness in the New Testament is, is this word that's used of a well-trained horse. It's, it's strength under control. Power under control. Strength that's bridled and useful. We, we all love to see wild horses, wild mustangs running wild. I mean, they're just kind of wild, aren't they? But they're not super useful to a family unless that power, that strength is gentled. I mean, that's, that's one of the few ways that we use that word as a verb, that you gentle a horse. Well, Jesus is the only one in human history um, who can hold these paired polarities together perfectly. One of my favorite sermons of Jonathan Edwards is called The Excellency of Christ. And he's, he's preaching on the passage from Revelation 4 where, where there's, who, who, can, who can take the, the, the seal and open the scroll? And this, this idea of there's a lion and there's a lamb. And the, the thesis the, you know, repeated throughout this, this sermon, The Excellency of Christ by Jonathan Edwards, says... There is an admirable conjunction of diverse excellencies in Jesus Christ. Friends, He is the one you are longing for. He, ladies, He is the man, the champion that you're longing for, who is absolutely and utterly stable and dependable and absolutely accessible. Men, He is the one who can change us can save us from our envy and anger and jealousy, rage. He is the one who can gentle us. He is a lion and a lamb. So don't you think that our world needs to see this strong gentleness of Jesus, this gentle strength of Jesus evident in his disciples? I, I don't need to tell you. Again, Rich just led us in prayer about we, we look around, Lord, and the world is a violent place. And, and it's a dark place. It, and, and that's so, friends, because our hearts are violent and dark unless there's an intervention. Christmas is an intervention. This Prince of Peace didn't come because things were so great. But, but I mean, read, that, read the passage in, in Isaiah Eight, the end of Isaiah 8, before you get to that, the glory of Isaiah 9 that we heard earlier. It's because things were so dreadful and wretched and men are shaking their fists at heaven that, that God gave 
uh, this son, this prince of peace. So what, what gentleness is, well, just, we'll start with just the beginning of everything, the opposite of everything we said before. It, it, it's supernatural, not a natural temperament. It's active, not passive. Passive. It's not just the absence of stuff. It's something different, categorically different, is present. I, mean, I invite you to think about um, the nonviolence of, of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. His leadership was not just the absence of, of something. He didn't just promote non-retaliation, even though that in itself is too hard for most of us to, to, to live. No, he preached the ethic that he had learned from Jesus that when you are cursed, you bless. You, you pray for those who mistreat you. You do good to those who hate you. When you're persecuted, it's not that you just do nothing. You do something in return that is so unexpected, it's so evident that, that it needs an explanation. In 1967, Dr. King, Reverend King, preached a, a Christmas sermon on Christmas Eve in, in 67. And he said, somehow, we must be able to stand up before our most bitter opponent and say, we shall match your capacity to inflict suffering by our capacity to endure suffering. We will meet your physical force with soul force. Do to us what you will, and we will still love you. We cannot in good conscience obey your unjust laws and abide by the unjust system because non-cooperation with evil is as much a moral obligation as is cooperation with good. So, throw us in jail and we will still love you. Bomb our homes and threaten our children and as difficult as it is, we will still love you. Send your hooded perpetrators of violence into our communities at the midnight hour and drag us out on some wayside road and leave us half dead as you beat us and we will still love you but be assured of this we will wear you down by our capacity to suffer and one day we will win our freedom we will win not only freedom for ourselves we will so appeal to your heart and conscience that we will win you in the process and our victory will be a double victory now, wouldn't that be nice if that was what was evident to all when they look at people who claim to follow Jesus? Love like that? In his letter to, continuing to talk about Dr. King, his letter from Birmingham City Jail, he's, he's writing an open letter because these eight prominent white pastors had, had published an open letter calling on him to be more patient, to be more gentle, uh, th this misguided um, idea of gentleness and patience. And he uses two illustrations in there that I really love, and I'd love for us to pray into existence in our day as we pray together for restoration and revival and renewal. He, he, he expresses his, his sadness and disappointment with white church leaders and their silence. They're just checking out. He expresses sadness and disappointment over churches that have, quote, adjusted to the status quo standing as taillights behind other 
community agencies rather than a headlight leading men to higher levels of justice. I mean, don't we want to see our church be shining like a headlight, gently leading to higher levels of justice rather than just trailing along behind the culture as a taillight? He goes on, there was a time when the church was very powerful. It was actually during that period when the early Christians rejoiced when they were deemed worthy to suffer for what they believed. And here's the other illustration I'd love us to pray into reality. He says, in those days, the church was not merely a thermometer that recorded the ideas and principles of popular opinion. It was a thermostat that transformed the mores of society. Whenever the early, wherever the early Christians entered a, a town, the power structure got disturbed and immediately sought to convict them for being disturbers of the peace and outside agitators. But they went on with the conviction that they were a colony of heaven and had to obey God rather than man. They were small in number, but big in commitment. I'm afraid he goes on. Things are different now. The contemporary church is often a weak, ineffectual voice with an uncertain sound. It is, it is so often the arch supporter of the status quo. Friends, prayer, it, it, it's, it's disrupting the, the status quo. Our life together is, is disrupting the status quo. A prophet, that's his job to disrupt, disrupt the status quo. Far from being disturbed by the presence of the church, the power structure of the average community is consoled by the church's silent sanction of things as they are. Friends, gentleness is not the silent sanction of things as they are. It is not passive but active. It is not just checking out. It's engaging with hope and strength. Engaging and keeping in mind that the people we're engaging with are made precious in the image of God. In, in 2 Corinthians 10, this is a new like way to start uh, when you're appealing something with your spouse or with your children or in your community. In, in 2 Corinthians 10, the Apostle Paul says, by the meekness and gentleness of Jesus Christ, he addresses those in the church in Corinth who think that we live by the standards of this world. And he says, by the meekness and gentleness of, of Christ, I want to appeal to those folks who think that we live by the standards of this world. He says, though we live in this world, we, we, don't, we don't wage war the way that the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. And so, in our passage, Paul's saying the same thing, making the same appeal. By the meekness and gentleness of Jesus, I appeal to you to let your gentleness be evident to all. Did you catch the first sentence of our call to worship from Matthew 11, 28, 29, 30? Jesus identifies himself. He defines himself, describes himself. He says, I am gentle. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, 
and I will give you rest. Come and learn of me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find. So there's an invitation and these great promises. You will find rest for your soul. So where do we get this gentleness? You know the answer. It does not originate in us. It originates in him. We listen to his voice. We come to him. We learn of him. We do like we did this morning. We ask him to forgive us of our violence towards him and towards others. And God the Son and God the Father send God the Spirit into our lives to grow his gentleness there. Friends, that, we believe that because the Lord is near, we believe that because of Advent, we believe living in this space, confounding space between His first Advent and His coming again. We believe that change is possible. Amen? I mean, do you still believe that change is possible in you? In the person next to you, around you? Again, Paul, Paul says in 2 Corinthians 3.18, he says that we with unveiled faces, we contemplate the Lord's splendor. We, we, we gaze upon, we study, we learn of Him. We contemplate His splendor. And you know what go, what, what's happening? We are being transformed from one level of splendor to another and we start looking like Jesus. And we start loving and being gentle like Jesus. His gentleness is formed in us. At the end of the service last Sunday, I was talking to an old friend and a new friend about my brother John. Uh, if you don't know about my brother John, just ask somebody around you. He was one of the servant leaders in this church for 30 or 40 years. Um, and when he died last October, um, it was so striking to me that the, the conversations that, that I had, that many of you had with me, that, that I heard, um, that I was involved in. And, and, and it wasn't that people just said, he was a gentle, kind, humble man. I mean, the superlatives were just over the top, weren't they? He was the gentlest, kindest, humblest man I think I've ever known. And so I was talking about that, and the new friend said, asked me as his little brother, was he always like that? And I thought, what a great question. What a wonderful question. And, 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 I'm, and I'm thinking about it. I've been thinking about it all week. And just in, in tears as I, as I think about, I mean, y'all can thank me because a lot, of, a lot of the gentleness and kindness and humility in, in, in John had to be learned in a million interactions with me. I mean, from the top bunk. John, are you awake? John, John, are you awake? It's like, I am now. Uh, I, I'm, I'm afraid. Can I climb down and sleep with you? Come on. John, can I come be with you and your friends? I don't have anything to do. Can, can I, John, John, can I come be with your friends? And I don't want to be with, by myself. 
come on. So as I've thought about that great question, friends, I do think that John started life more kind and, and gentle and humble than most. But the kindness and gentleness that you witnessed in him and enjoyed in him and received from him all these years, friends, it, it came from him receiving the kindness and gentleness of Jesus and soaking in it. He, he would put his earphones in and soak in it all day, every day. He would write about it. He would soak in it until he got all pruney uh, with, with gentleness and kindness. So you can put it like a, like a, a mathematical equation. The, the difference between what we naturally are and what we are when the Holy Spirit of God grows the Spirit of Jesus in us equals glory for God. Amen? And so I don't know where, it doesn't matter where you start on that spectrum. The difference between what you naturally are and what you are because the Lord is near and you're connected to Him and abiding in Him. He says, if you abide, apart from me you can do nothing, but if you abide in me, you're going to bear this most beautiful fruit and it's going to be evident to the, to the watching world, evident to your neighbor, evident to your enemy. Evident to all. So, when we come to this table, we remember. We remember the kindness and gentleness and humility of Jesus. We, we remember that Christ suffered for us, leaving us an example that we should walk in His steps. When insults were hurled at Jesus, He didn't retaliate. When He suffered, He made no threats. Instead, He entrusted Himself to Him who judges justly. I mean, literally, friends, while we were killing Him, He was not doing nothing. He was forgiving and atoning. Jesus came to absorb violence and take it out of circulation and so if you have been in situations are currently in situations where violence just seems like it's escalating those are the very kinds of of circumstances and and events that that he loves to make his gentleness evident to all you know Proverbs 15.1 says that a gentle answer turns away wrath. Friends, Jesus is God's gentle answer. He is the gentle answer that turns away wrath. You know, he established this meal in, in that he morphed this Passover meal into this table, his table. And and it was in the, I mean, you know the language that we use? We, we just remember every time we come to the table that it was on the night that he was betrayed. That he was actively loving like this. 
You know, Luke's gospel says that, that literally at the table where Jesus, the true Passover lamb that the Passover meal that, that pointed to, that there is a Passover lamb that, that provides for, for judgment passing over you and your, your house. That was all pointing to Jesus. I mean, literally at the table, Luke t- says, a dispute arose among them about who was the greatest. Friends, we're incorrigible. <laughs> we, we're incorrigible in our, in our comparing and our jockeying for position. Well, here's the good news of the gospel. Jesus came for the incorrigible. Amen? He didn't come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. So, if you are organically connected to Him, if you've said, I I have been trusting myself for life, I'm going to trust you, then, then come to the table. If you haven't done that yet, it'd be hypocritical for you to take the symbol of that and not take Jesus Himself. So if you've not done that yet, don't take part of this. Grab hold of Jesus. I mean, He has come near to us. That's what we're rejoicing in this Advent. And, and the, He says, come to me. I've come to you, now you come to me. You who are weary and heavy laden, and I'll save you. I'll rescue you from your weariness and your burdens. I will rescue you from your restlessness. And you will find rest in me. So if you haven't taken Jesus yet, take him. And then take part in this meal after that. But if you are somebody who knows your own heart, has confessed your own heart like like you've done this morning, that I have not been gentle. Maybe not with your words, but your mind is just a brutal, harsh, judgy place. Well, come and remember. And so today, as we partake of the table, I really do want to ask you, while you have this scored, striped, broken bread in your hand, and while you have this cup that represents his shed blood, that you remember that he didn't come to wield the sword, but to receive the sword. He, he didn't, he, he came to take violence, to absorb violence, to accept being struck, to take that violence out of circulation. And he wants to reproduce that in us. So, The context of this meal, (laughs) I'm afraid that he didn't come because we're so great. I mean, we're great and valuable because we were made in the image of God. But this intervention happened because we had really made a mess of things, right? So let's remember the context of Christmas, that, that this intervention happened for violent, angry, brusque, harsh men and women and boys and girls to be made into something new and beautiful. So again, it was on the night that his disciples are arguing 
that that Judas was ready to publicly betray him in that context of violence. Our Prince of Peace, our Prince of Gentleness took bread and he said, this is my body. Whenever you eat this bread, remember me. And he he gave thanks for it. He broke it and he gave it to his friends. After supper, he took the cup and he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood poured out for the forgiveness of sins for the many. Whenever you drink this cup, remember me. So friends, the only way for your gentleness to be evident to all is for the gentleness of Jesus to literally enter you. And that's what we're doing together now. So if the servers would come, they're going to feed you with the gentleness of Jesus this morning.